stream. You are here with Dr. Edwin Porras, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. You are on the live Fantasy Points stream. We're going to take this home. We're going to bring Ben home. Ben has been working to the bone, I feel like, the last 69 years. Has not had a break. We're going to give him a break. Today will not be too long. Honestly, a lot of what I'm going to be doing is repeating myself, but I understand that you can't get to everything. You can't consume all the content in the world. So I am going to try to give as much nuance and detail to these injury situations to wrap up this mega stream. And then we will let you go home, enjoy your family, enjoy the long weekend, enjoy whatever you're going to enjoy, maybe a cold adult beverage. That will be a fun time. Now, before we get started very quickly, I do want to point you to a lot of people have been asking me over the last, I don't know, six, seven months. Where can I find updates to players? Where can I find um, all of the up-to-date information about timelines, injury insights, the most up-to-date information? What you can do is go to fantasypoints.com. This is a free resource, right? We're not greedy here at fantasypoints.com. We understand that a lot of content should be and can be easily consumable and, and actionable. So you're going to go to fantasypoints.com. Okay. You're going to go to the downloads and tools section the little drop-down menu, you're going to go to Injury Insights. What you'll find is a little site, a little a little mini, it's in research. Oh, that's, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. No, news and reports. Downloads and tools under news and reports. Is that right? I think that's right. So you're going to go to news and reports and you're going to go to Injury Insights. Injury Insights is a little tab that I will be updating throughout the entire year. I'm going to be updating it in between games. Uh, I joked on Twitter, I'm going to be updating in between when the Cowboys don't cover, I'm going to be updating it um, in between Carson Wentz interceptions. This will be constantly updated all the time, as often as as frequently as I can with injury insights, whatever injury I think is going on with the player, what Shefty might have updated in terms of a report for how long a player will be gone, what I think is going on with an injury. This will be updated as often as possible. It's the it's honestly going to be one of the most useful things that I do. And I think one of the one of the most actionable pieces of information, our subscribers are going to be super excited about it. They asked us for it a long time ago. So it's going to be running, <clears throat> constantly updating. So make sure you go to fantasypoints.com, go to the news and reports tab um, and go to injury insights. That's where you'll find the most up-to-date information on injury uh, injuries in general. And you can go to it now. You can figure it out. It's free, like I said. So other than that, make sure you go follow me on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. And follow um, where you can get my voice. I joked with Ben earlier today that it's just me and my massive ego on my podcast um, over at the, of course, sponsored by fantasypoints.com, the injury prone fantasy football podcast. So let's get started. Not going to bury the lead. Over the summer, throughout the summer, throughout most of the honestly preseason, offseason, I've spent a lot of time covering Saquon Barkley. What is going on with Saquon Barkley? You know, what is his injury? What is his outlook? And as somebody who obviously is following this very closely, I've watched the ADP go up and down and up and down and up and down. I never saw his ADP cross anything higher than like the 1.11 on average. People are just nervous about Saquon Barkley. And I don't want to sell you short. So I want to give you the entire picture. And I'll, I'll try to cut out some of the details. If you go to fantasypoints.com, it's a free article. Um, you go ahead and go to fantasypoints.com articles, click on the injury tab, and it's the medical case for Saquon Barkley. I try to lay out as much of the foundation of this conversation as possible. That's honestly where you want to start. 
you can go back and listen to this, but if you if, uh, if there's one place to start, it would be at that article. So Saquon Barkley, he had ACL and meniscus surgery. It was roughly as soon as week one hits, actually, it's going to be 10 months and two weeks, about 15 days. This has caused quite a ruckus, understandably so, in the fantasy community. Do you take Saquon? Do you not? And honestly, a lot of it comes down to your personal preference and tolerance for risk. What, I, what I'm not saying is that Saquon Barkley comes risk-free. I am not saying that. I'm not saying that Saquon Barkley is going to be the Saquon Barkley of old immediately right off the bat. I'm not saying Saquon Barkley is somebody who isn't potentially going to suffer some soft tissue strains. I want to make it very clear that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, and this is according to the research, and if you go to the fantasypoints.com article, you can read it there. Saquon Barkley checks every single box. Check, check, check. All of the boxes to be a statistical outlier. Scott Barrett constantly talks about upside. Upside wins championships. Upside wins championships part one. Upside wins championships part two. Redux. Upside wins championships all the time. If there's one individual in the first round that's slipping sometimes in the second round, I just saw Joe Dolan and, and Graham Barfield actually got him in the late second is Saquon Barkley. Now, recently, one of the New York Giants beat reporters did uh, put out in his article over at The Athletic that he doesn't think Saquon Barkley, and I'll pull it up here in a second so I can give him credit. He doesn't believe Saquon Barkley will see his old 83% of snaps for the rest of his career. I'll dive into that a little bit more, but I do want to say that without getting take lock, without making it seem like I'm getting take lock and, and focused on, I think Saquon Barkley has all this upside and ignoring all the downside. I really want to make it clear right now. I think Dan uh, if I'm saying his name, last name correctly, Dan Dugan, Dan Dugan, I'm not sure, at ddugan21 on Twitter. I think he it does his job just fine. I think he does a great job. I'm not, I don't want to discount his work whatsoever. What I do caution people worrying about this specific quote from his article where he said, quote, the Giants will likely bring Barkley along slowly in his return from a torn ACL. The hope is that he can return to being a workhorse as the year progresses. He might never return to playing 83% of offensive snaps like he did in his first two seasons, unquote. I don't want to discredit Dan for the work that he puts in. I also don't want to make it seem as though we have, any of us have a crystal ball. The first thing to talk about with this specific quote is like, okay, how many running backs in the NFL actually play 83% of snaps? Not very many of them. So that's a really difficult hurdle to clear in the first place. So, okay. Let's run with that. Let's say Saquon Barkley doesn't play 83% of snaps in 2021, at least, right? None of us have a crystal ball. Let's say that. I do want to give a couple of comps, right? A couple of comparisons. Let's talk about Jamal Charles after his first ACL tear in 2012. In week one, he played 42% of snaps. In week two, he played 27% of snaps. That year, Jamal Charles went on to play 54% of snaps and finished as the, R, as the RB10 in points per game. 54% of snaps. Not bad. And of course, the comparison everybody loves to make. Adrian Peterson, for whatever reason, I couldn't find a week one snap count for Adrian Peterson week one after his ACL tear. Um, so that's a question mark. In week two, he played 61% of snaps, ended the season playing roughly 76% of snaps. 
So basically what I'm saying to tie it back to this Dan, this quote from Dan Dugan from The Athletic is that even if Saquon Barkley doesn't play 83% of snaps, which is a lot, that's a lot of snaps. If Saquon Barkley plays 70 to 75% of snaps, he checks all the statistical outliers to still be an absolute smash. And what I'm trying to bring, what the point I'm trying to drive home here with Saquon is that in week one, we're probably not going to see full-blown Saquon. In week two, a little more likely, but we're probably not going to see fully unleashed Saquon. And I could have done a better job of communicating this throughout the offseason, but I felt like I was constantly playing catch up with all this hand wringing and nervousness about Saquon coming off the ACL tear. We're you're not drafting Saquon Barkley for a week one home run. You're not drafting Saquon for a home run week two. You're drafting Saquon for week five, for week six, for week 12, for week 13, for week 15 in the playoffs. That is what you're drafting Saquon Barkley for. His first half of the season is likely not going to be as good as the second half. But if you can keep your head above water and float, you are going to be happy you drafted Saquon Barkley as long as he avoids soft tissue injuries. So there's been a lot of nervousness, and I get it, a lot of hand-wringing. And I know that Dalvin Cook is the most recent comp where Dalvin Cook missed five games because of soft tissue injury. That is in the cards. I don't want to act like it's not in the cards. But when you take an athlete, the caliber of Saquon Barkley, who is a by far better athlete than Jamal Charles, and by a shade of better athlete than Adrian Peterson, three years younger than Adrian Peterson, and a, a very, very tiny little shade more athletic than Adrian Peterson, then you have this upside that's astronomical. We in fantasy football are trying to constantly stay ahead of the curve. We constantly want to stay on top of trends and not behind them. So with this pick that you're taking Saquon in, you are swinging for the fences on a player who's finished as high as RB2 on a points per game basis. I know that there's a lot of nervousness. I know that there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of hand wringing. The bottom line is that this is not a, a career threatening situation. And the second thing that I did want to mention, I guess it was like the eighth or ninth thing probably, is I understand we cannot control what the Giants do. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the research points to. It doesn't matter what Saquon's physical athletic capacity is. If the Giants, who are a pretty notorious donkey-ish, you know, I guess you could call them the donkey, donkey organization. If they decide to continue to limit Saquon, we can't control that. We're betting on the fact that Saquon is better than a fourth round NFL draft pick, Devontae Booker, who is 29 years old and can beat him out for snaps and can be just worlds better than Devontae Booker and will eventually take over a massive workload. Even if Saquon never sees 83% of snaps again, I think we can all agree if we see 70 to 75% of snaps for Saquon in week four or five, passing, catching passes out of the backfield, we will be happy. If you took Saquon in the late first, if you took Saquon in the middle of the second, you got a steal. Don't let the beginning of the season discourage you. And in fact, the first half of the season, I would actually be trying to get more shares. I would try, Podfather's going to make fun of me here. Let me use a different phrase. I would try to be trading for Saquon Barkley. So don't worry. Don't be concerned. And I apologize personally for not discussing this at greater depth and insight. I felt like I was constantly catching up. Saquon should be active for week one. Um, 
it's not a slam dunk that he's going to get a ton of work quite yet. He did mention himself that he's going to be working back into football shape, quote unquote, whatever that means. So I wouldn't necessarily expect a home run from Saquon week one, but if that doesn't happen, don't panic. He is 10.5 months removed from surgery. He is going to get back on that train very soon. If you have any questions about Saquon, I understand it's, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to digest. Just understand that the historical precedent is that these players of Saquon's caliber can come back and be just as successful as they were before. He's young. He's got extreme high draft capital. He's got a 29-year-old running back with fourth-round NFL draft capital behind him. He's not going to get pushed for snaps. As soon as they get him rolling week two, three, you're going to start seeing the fruits of that first, late first, middle, second-round pick. The next guy that I want to talk about specifically is DeAndre Swift. Now, DeAndre Swift... I don't want to make it seem as though I'm saying fade DeAndre Swift. I'm not saying that. DeAndre Swift is a very talented running back, a a very good running back, probably a really nice guy. I don't know. Seems like he he likes to drink, I don't know, Pinot Grigio uh, on the weekends, probably listens to classical music, very upscale, respectful man. I don't know. He, He seems like a good guy to me. What we don't know about DeAndre Swift are a handful of things. One, we don't know if DeAndre Swift can handle a full NFL workload, right? By hook or by crook, doesn't matter how it happened. He didn't do it last year. Understandable. Dude had a concussion, had really severe concussive symptoms. Happens. The next thing we don't know is if the Lions trust DeAndre Swift to take a massive workload because DeAndre Swift Um, has a backfield mate named Jamal Charles or Jamal Charles. Jeez. Let me back up. Um, Definitely not Jamal Charles, Jamal Williams, who's very talented in his own right. A very big frozen fan. If you ask uh, Jamal Williams, he's a big frozen fan. He's a very good talented running back in his own right. And this regime signed him pretty quickly as soon as free agency opened. So it doesn't matter what we think of Jamal Williams. It doesn't matter what uh, we believe Jamal or I keep saying that DeAndre Swift. It doesn't matter what we believe DeAndre Swift can do or what we've seen him do. And that's even before getting into the, the injury side, right? So now that's, that's my wheelhouse. So let's talk about that. In 2018, DeAndre Swift suffered a, a, a groin strain, ended up needing surgery, something very similar, at least from the sounds of it, that Rashad Bateman had. Not a big deal, really. These typically don't, on average, don't tend to hang around. Well, in 2020, DeAndre Swift was on the injury report with, quote, hip. We know, just like we saw with OBJ in 2019, hip, quote, unquote, I'm doing quotation, air quotes, hip means a lot of times groin because they're obviously so close in proximity. Then you get to the 2021 season, preseason, mini camp, camp, and he's still dealing with this chronic groin strain. What I don't want to make it seem is like I'm panicking I'm not panicking. I I really am trying to avoid any hand wringing. I don't think this is like the end of the world for DeAndre Swift, but I am viewing it from what the big picture looks like. And even though he's a very talented running back, and even though he's got a lot of potential and, and, and talent through the wazoo, he does not come without objective risk. So, of course, the very first thing you think of when you think of risk is everything I just mentioned is this chronic groin strain. This groin These groin issues, these groin injuries have definitely become a problem at this point in 2021. They're considered chronic at this point. 
So you, you consider that you could look at that. You could shrug it off. You could say, ah, oh, I don't know. I got him in the, you know, the late third, whatever. Then you think about the fact that DeAndre Swift had severe concussion symptoms in 2020. We know specifically that the risk for, for a secondary concussion after a first concussion is quite literally doubled within one year or within two years, of course. It's about one or two years. So essentially, he's got a greater risk of concussion in 2021 because of the old concussion from 2020 on top of these groin strains, on top of having a very talented backfield mate who can very easily take volume from it. Now, at fantasypoints.com, if you go to projections and rankings, they, we do have DeAndre Swift ranked as the number 37 overall, uh, number 37 overall player um, in terms of running back. I'd have to double check to see what running back he is, but he's sort of that, that second line of running backs in that second tier um, that we do recommend. What I'm trying to say from a health perspective, from a physical volatility perspective, uh, from, from a trying to project the future perspective, he is not risk-free whatsoever. What I'm not saying is don't draft DeAndre Swift. What I'm not saying is DeAndre Swift is going to bust. What I'm not saying is that DeAndre Swift can't finish as a top 10 running back. What I am saying about DeAndre Swift from a physical perspective is that he's at risk for another con concussion. He's got these chronic groin strains that haven't gone away. They're considered chronic at this point. And he's got a very capable backfield mate who can take goal line work or any type of goal uh, work between the twenties from him. So I'm not in the business of making my own projections. I leave that to the experts. I leave that to Dolan and, and, and Barrett. And I leave that to Graham and the boys. What I'm saying as a drafter and a consumer of this content, if I am waiting to take DeAndre Swift as my, as my RB one on a points per game basis, I'm weighing what he can do and what I think he can do versus what the Lions believe he can handle. And I'm sort of doing that and I'm weighing what I have versus what I might potentially need. So all I'm trying to say with all this, without getting too long-winded, I've already got long-winded, is that DeAndre Swift does not come risk-free from a physical health perspective, okay? Another player that doesn't come risk-free necessarily either is Antonio Gibson. I know that Antonio Gibson is a little less of a risk, and I do agree. I, I tend to agree he's less of a risk. Uh, Ron Rivera did come out and say, oh, you know, his toe's fine. It's not a big deal. It was really weird that he had this toe issue that lingered into June from January. Uh, it was something about fluid. I'm not entirely sure. Sources vary on exactly what was going on. He's less of a concerned concern than DeAndre Swift. But he's still nevertheless a concern. I like to say that every year we complain about running backs missing time. We say every running back misses between one and two uh, games per season. And that's true. Now, there are a lot of different variables that go into it. One of them is that running backs tend to suffer these injuries that, that increase the average of missed time. Uh, generally speaking, you know, they, they suffer more high ankle sprains. Um, they have these injuries like, you know, shoulder dislocations that happen more frequently. So the quality of the injuries that happen to running backs does skew the average of their missed games a little bit. So you really want to look at sort of the median to have a better idea, but that's sort of a different topic for a different day. When you look at running backs, you have to consider the fact that every year there are probably two, three, four, a handful of running backs in the top 12, 15 that we don't know are still suffering from some sort of ailment. They're either, they either have a lingering turf toe like Gibson might have. They either have 
you know, a, a, an ankle sprain, a lateral ankle sprain that they just can't seem to stabilize. They have something going on that we just don't hear about. And that likely oftentimes can leads to some missed time. So what I'm saying is we should intelligent, intelligently apply that information with Antonio Gibson. He's got this turf toe, hasn't really gone away. At this point, it should have. There's no reason why a turf toe from January should still be lingering in, in June. Maybe it's gone by now. We don't know. Maybe when he gets into the season, it might start to bother him. He'll, he, maybe he'll miss some practice time from it, and maybe it'll lead to maybe one or two games missed. We don't know. Maybe it'll lead to some third down work being. What I'm saying here is that this is just, an, an just enough, just enough of an issue that it makes me a little nervous about Antonio Gibson. But honestly, the upside is so high, it's really hard to pass on Antonio Gibson. So what I'll say is if we're comparing apples to apples, Antonio Gibson versus DeAndre Swift, I'm less concerned for Antonio Gibson. But I also think that he's not a risk-free guy. He's not a guy that comes risk-free relative to his peers. And of course, remember that everything I'm saying is always based on the comparison to their peers. Every player in the NFL is at risk for some sort of injury. But there are certain guys who, based on their injury, based on their medical history, based on what we know about them, are at a little bit of a higher risk. Now, a little bit of, I guess you could consider it housekeeping. Um, we do want to talk about Brandon Ayuk. I know that there's a little bit of concern about Brandon Ayuk. Um, I tweeted out earlier this morning after Nick Wagoner said, it was a few days ago, the 49ers not participating in today's practice. So that would have been Friday, Thursday, Friday. Um, Brandon Ayuk and uh, Dante Johnson, a couple of defensive guys. And basically what Nick was saying is that this was a week ago um, at that time. So it would have been two Thursdays ago that this hamstring strain came back on for Brandon Ayuk. At this point, there's a, a, a pretty high recurrence rate for hamstring strains. And we know Brandon Ayuk had a hamstring strain last year. So it's not surprising to see him dealing with this now. Um, during the season, these strains that are recurrences typically end in 1.34 uh, weeks missed on average. So obviously between one and two, about two weeks missed for these, for these specific injuries. The median is one week, obviously 50% missing no time. 50% missing, you know, more than one week. We all know what median means. Standard deviation is 1.3. Moral of the story here is that that, that that strain would have happened for Brennan Ayuk around August 26th, meaning that by the time September 12th ro rolls around, a lot of time, enough time will have been passed to not really be too concerned about it, um, especially if the 49ers have just basically bubble wrapped him. So I wouldn't be too concerned with Brandon Ayuk. I would say that his volatility is a little higher than average because there is a high recurrence rate if these guys are rushed back too quickly from these hamstring strains. But yeah, what are you going to do? It's Brandon Ayuk. It's 49ers offense. Um, I, I have no idea. I have no sources on this. But if, if, um, if Trey Lance is starting week one, it's really hard to sit anybody in that 49ers offense. But moral of the story is for now, don't worry about Brandon Ayuk. Monitor the practice reports. And the practice reports will tell you a lot of what you need to know. Gio Bernard. Gio Bernard, I'm pretty sure practiced in full based on one of the reports that I saw today. I know that's that's great reporting on my end. That's, that's a great job by me. I think I bookmarked it. Um, but I'm relatively certain that I saw Gio Bernard uh, practicing in full. 
And we did hear from Bruce Arians that it was a relatively minor sprain. We don't love to hear uh, high ankle at all, but considering the fact that he's a pass catcher, considering the fact that he is, um, he's sort of, you know, a, a satellite back to say the least, he's not really a guy that you re- are, are going to require a lot of carries and in between the tackles uh, touches from him. I wouldn't worry too much about him. He is, I know a guy that a lot of people have sort of waited on as their RB2. Um, that's a different topic for a different day. I don't know if I would have specifically chosen uh, Gio Bernard as my RB2, but I would say that at this time, it doesn't seem like it's something that's just too uh, worrisome and something to be too worried about. And here it is, the tweet. I just found it. This is from Pewter Report, at Pewter Report. Uh, Bucks running back, Gio Bernard, was out practicing today, an encouraging sign after an ankle injury held him out of Thursday and Friday's practice. So, of course, we don't have the ankle, the, the injury reports yet, but as soon as we see that was a full practice by him, we will be in the clear for the most part. Um, Joe Burrow looks to be on track. Just a couple of house, housekeeping items before we get out of here. Joe Burrow seems to be on track for week one. Expect a lot of dump offs, a lot of quick slants, a lot of three-step drops from Joe Burrow. Hopefully that means a lot of Tyler Boyd because um, that would benefit my wallet quite a bit. Michael Thomas, of course, is on the pup. Won't be back until at least week seven. I think that the Saints have a a, a bye week in week six. I'd have to double check myself on that. Um, Amari Cooper is another guy I've been talking about a lot. I think that Amari Cooper is fine. I've ended up with a lot of Amari Cooper. I think that his his injury and, and the weirdness of his six month recovery that should have been a six week recovery does create a little bit of vagueness in his hat in terms of his health. We don't really know why that occurred, but we're, um, we're optimistic. Nonetheless, if anything, the surgery that he had to remove the bone spurs is going to be a lateral move. You'll probably still see a lot of no shows, a lot of sort of, you know, two catches for 30 yards from Amari Cooper. Um, I'm a personal believer that this is likely because of, of his foot is on fire. He's probably playing with his foot on fire a lot of weeks. Uh, this chronic plantar fasciitis that he's admitted to in the past is probably contributing to that. Um, Bateman, Rashad Bateman, placed on the short-term IR. He's going to probably eyeball week five. Uh, Cortland Sutton is good to go, especially after watching some of the cuts that he was making. I think the dude is just totally ready to ball out. Odell Beckham Jr., a guy that I'm a little nervous about from a soft tissue perspective coming off the ACL. Curtis Samuel, I'm also nervous for. There's of it's just a really really nerve-wracking for a guy to to continue to suffer from a groin strain that occurred initially in june um, into august near september monitor the practice reports the only way i would feel confident in curtis samuel is if he gets three straight full practices fps uh, before kickoff next sunday so if you have any questions hit me up on twitter at fb injury doc make sure to follow um, and rate review my own podcast where I'll be talking about all the stuff, of course, powered by fantasypoints.com throughout the year, uh, the injury prone fantasy football podcast. Make sure you go to the website, fantasypoints.com, go to the news and reports tab, and you will find the injury insights constantly updated in between every single tilt. Uh, again, follow me on Twitter at the injury doc, hit me up with any questions you might have. Thank you to Ben for all the work he puts in. Ben is, I don't think he sleeps. Uh, I tried to keep this short for him. I think I ended up talking for, I don't know, 30 minutes. Uh, But I appreciate you, Ben. We all appreciate you. Shout out to you. um, And shout out to everybody out there that is a Fantasy Point subscriber. The Saquon Squad, shout out to you. 
Let's get it this year. Thanks for tuning in. See you soon.